This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Dale. And with the holidays approaching, you're likely feeling maybe what I'm feeling, those kind of mixed emotions. Ah, yeah, we look forward to being with friends and family during the most often delicious holiday food and all the activities associated with the season. We also have some trepidations. How are we going to get everything done on time? How do I not? I'm looking down at my waistline already. It's growing. Gain weight. Will the weather impact travel? And most importantly, will crazy Uncle Willie embarrass us yet again? But think about our clients' pets. The holidays can be difficult for them also. Let's talk about how we can keep them safe and happy so that they can enjoy the season along with their owners. Joining us today is Dr. Joyce Logan, Senior Veterinary Manager of Medical Affairs at Zuetis, and Dr. Sharon Campbell, also a Senior Veterinary Manager of Medical Affairs at Zuetis. Dr. Campbell, I start with you. If you're hosting the party, what pet-friendly measures can you take? Okay, so for the dog that's hosting the party, we need to really make sure that that dog does not suffer from noise aversion. You know, we often think of like fireworks and thunder as the main triggers for noise aversion, but the reality of it is is that there are many sounds that occur during the holidays that can cause dogs to be fearful and anxious. Um, Consider doorbells ringing and conversations that are really loud or people that are singing carols, whether it's on or off key, <laughs> cheering on the favorite sports team while watching TV on, um, watching the game on TV. Um, all of these can be triggers that send dogs into a panic. I don't know that you have data on karaoke of people singing off key. You might not. But other than that, how common is noise aversion? So, uh, Steve, it's really actually fairly common in a recent Harris Poll survey that we did, 67% of pet owners reported that their dog has at least one sign of noise aversion. So here's the big question. How, as you as a private practitioner, a veterinarian, determine if a dog has noise aversion? Right. So that's, that's a bit of a, a problem uh, that we run into because we know that dogs with noise aversion are underdiagnosed, and there's two reasons for that. The first is that pet owners don't really see noise aversion as a medical condition, so they're not frequently talking to their veterinarians about their dog's signs of noise aversion. But additionally, on the other hand, veterinarians don't commonly ask pet owners about behavioral problems in general or noise aversion specifically, so nobody's really having the conversation about noise aversion. One way that we can get that conversation started, though, is by using the noise aversion checklist. The veterinary staff can offer this checklist to the pet owners as they come into the clinic and then from there determine whether that dog has noise aversion. Once that's determined, then a treatment plan can be implemented. One thing that's important, though, is if they were doing this around the holidays, it's really important that this occurs well before the holidays so that, one, the diagnosis can be made and, two, the treatment plan can be started. Okay, good point. Uh, So brings up two questions for me. Where can veterinarians find this noise aversion checklist that you talk about? And then what do you do? What treatment options are available? Sure. So um, the noise aversion checklist can be found at 
noiseaversionquiz.com. And that's actually a website where the pet owner can go on and take a little bit of a quiz. It's a really quick quiz. It's five questions. They take that online, and they either can print it out to bring to their veterinarians, or they actually can email it to the veterinarian. And then um, that way, again, the conversation can get started and treatment plan can be implemented. When we talk about treatment, they, treatment plans, they really fall into um, three general categories. So there's environmental management, there's behavior modification, and there are pharmacologic options. Okay, so let's start with environmental management and those behavior modifications. So um, with environmental management, probably the best thing you could do is remove the dog from the environment where that noise is occurring, but that is so many times not possible. So one of the key components to environmental management is providing a safe haven. It's, that's an area that is away from the noise where all the activity is occurring, and the pet owner should start training the dog to go to their safe haven well before the party occurs, like weeks before the party occurs. The owner can place a dog, uh, the dog's favorite bed in that spot, and they can train them to go there with a command with treats. They can provide toys there, and when the party actually starts, then they can start play, they can play a little soft music there, and that will try to kind of mask the noise a little bit. And that's one way to help keep the dog a little bit calmer. When it comes to behavior modification, there's um, two different techniques that can be used. One is counter-conditioning. The other is systematic desensitization. And oftentimes, these behavior modification techniques are used together. I love all that, and I think that's great. Well said. But I think, personally speaking, this is just me, sometimes the best thing you can do, the most humane thing you can do, is add a pharmacological agent. So what would you, if we're talking pharmacological agents, and we are now, what do you recommend? So for the pharmacologic agents, there's a number of different ones that get used. Um, so we've taught, we can talk about trazodone, gabapentin has been used, clonidine, and then celiodexmedetomine oral mucosal gel is also used. Of all the ones that I mentioned, Cilio is the only one that is FDA-approved to treat canine noise aversion. Okay, so that's, since that's what we're talking about, tell me more about Cilio. When we talk about Cilio, it comes in a bit different form than other medications. It is a gel that is preloaded in a needleless syringe, and then the syringe is placed between the cheek and the gums, and the gel is administered between, in that spot so that it is absorbed by the gums. Um, when we talked about owners, um, when we talk to owners about giving cilio, it's really important that we mention that they do not allow cilio to be swallowed because if it is swallowed, it will be ineffective. But cilio can be given 30 to 60 minutes before the guests arrive and last for about three hours. Typically, what you'll see with that is that the dog is calm but not sedated. And I bet people appreciate their dog being calmer. For a, a whole variety of reasons, most importantly, they appreciate the fact that their dog is, I would argue, more content. Uh, what do we know, need to know about the safety profile of Cilio? Because Cilio is a formulation of dexmedetomidine, we should not use Cilio in similar situations such as dogs with severe cardiovascular disease, respiratory, liver, or kidney disease, or otherwise compromised. Um, Cilio can be given to dogs 16 weeks of age or older, but should not be given to dogs that are breeding, lactating, or nursing because we've not evaluated it in those situations. The amount of gel that's given to the dog is determined by the dog's body weight, 
um, in the syringe is labeled with, um, on the plunger of the syringe, it's labeled with dots, and the body weight determines the number of dots that the dog would receive. And um, there's this little dial, which we call the ring stop, that's used to dial the dose. So pet owners should really make uh, sure that 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 ring stop is locked before they administer cilio, and a member of the veterinary staff will usually demonstrate to the pet owner how to dial and dose cilio before they dispense cilio. When it comes to side effects, the most common side effect that we see with cilio is a transient paling of the gums at the site of application. And then, although for most cases, cilio calms without sedating, a few dogs may show some degree of sedation or drowsiness. For additional safety information, you can go to ciliodvmus.com, where you will also find videos on how to administer cilio. So a lot of people think, oh, well, my dog's going to outgrow that. If I ignore it, my dog will realize, oh, it's no real harm that's being done to me, and I'll be fine. So what happens when these uh, pet parents, and it's common, say those sorts of things and essentially ignore the problem for weeks, months, or years. So, um, so you're right. The dogs do not outgrow noise aversion. So it's really important that we start treatment as soon as possible. And the other thing that pet owners need to realize is that when their dog has experienced noise aversion, these dogs are terrified. It would be similar to a person experience a panic attack. So each time that dog is exposed to that noise trigger without treatment, they are suffering, and this becomes a real welfare concern. The other thing to consider about noise aversion is it can progress, and so it can progress in many different ways. One of the ways that it can progress is that the dog starts reacting to a number of different noises. So it may start off, um, the dog may start off just being afraid of thunder, and then it becomes fireworks, and then it becomes the garbage truck each Monday morning, and now the dog has multiple triggers that they're afraid of, and each time they're exposed to these triggers, they're suffering. The other way that it can progress is by the number of signs that the dog shows. And so the dog may actually um, show uh, just maybe some mild signs such as lip licking or yawning, and that can progress to more moderate signs such as panting or pacing, and then more severe signs such as hiding or becoming immobile or actually trying to escape where they will, um, you know, harm themselves either by chewing on drywall trying to escape or um, scratching at their kennels trying to escape or actually, you know, lots of reports of dogs jumping through windows trying to escape. So we don't want it to progress to that level for sure. And then finally, one way that it can also progress is that the dogs can develop other types of anxiety with separation anxiety being the most common uh, uh, other type of anxiety that we see concurrently with noise aversion. Yeah, all true enough. And, and what you're describing is a, a great uh, articulate, really, uh, set of reasons why behavior needs to be asked about uh, for every visit. At least that's my opinion. And in addition to noise aversion, what else should pet parents be aware of during the holidays? Sure. So the howl days, um, <laughs> although we enjoy those, you know, food is the big thing that we really need to be cautious of for many different reasons. So a lot of the food that we eat is way too rich for our pets. And so we just need to make sure from that perspective, our, our dogs and cats aren't fed these these type of foods or get exposure to these foods. Additionally, there's a lot of toxins in the foods that we eat. And so we think about chocolate, artificial sweeteners, 
onions, grapes, and alcohol, all of those can be toxic and possibly deadly to the pets. So it's not only important for owners to take measures to make sure the dogs don't or the cats don't get exposed to these foods, but also to warn their guests, don't feed my dog these foods because don't feed my cat these foods because it can make them sick. Yeah, well, since we're on the topic, what else aside from food? So we think about different holiday decorations, and I think everybody's aware of tinsel. If you have a cat, you shouldn't have tinsel, but there's lots of other decorations. So think about candles. We want to keep candles um, away from where um, dogs are wagging their tails or a curious cat can knock it off the table. We also want to think about um, the ornaments on the tree. Glass ornaments can break and pets can walk on those and cut their foot or maybe even ingest those. So we want to be very cautious about those type of things. And then the tree can pose a hazard. One, if the tree isn't secure to the wall, then it can tip over and cause all sorts of um, havoc. But additionally, think about the water that's in the tree stand. We want to make sure that our pets are kept away from that water because it can contain different chemicals, harmful chemicals such as pesticides or herbicides that that tree might have been treated with. Well, Dr. Logan, I have not forgotten about you. So (laughs) what if you're hosting that party and if you're traveling with your dog, say, for the holidays? For the holidays, if you're the one who's going someplace else, and you're bringing your dog with you or cat, we know there's lots of things that you need to take into consideration if you've got those animals in your car to keep them happy, healthy, and safe. And, of course, the first thing you have to think about is making sure that the car is equipped with all the necessities. You need to use, and I'm a big stickler for this, approved carriers or car seats, not a cardboard box, not a laundry basket, but something that's approved. And if you're using a crate, make sure it's large enough for the pet to stand up, sit down, lie down, and turn around. And also make sure that that crate is secure so it doesn't slide or shift in case of any kind of an abrupt stop. You certainly need to make sure there's fresh water, there's regular food, not stopping through the drive-thru, there's litter pans for cats, and leashes and collars are all important things to bring with you. You need to advise your owners to take lots and lots of stops, and especially if they have a cat, caution them to make sure the cat's in a carrier or secure before they open that door to get out of the car so it doesn't escape. And you have to always have that dog on a leash. Yeah, I suppose it's also a good time to remind folks to uh, check that microchip if there is one, right? Uh, veterinarians, check your chip day. doesn't have to be on check your chip day. What's more, that the pets are microchipped in the first place. Now, you're going to think I'm a bit nuts, but you probably think that already. Anyway... <laughs> I usually pack a bag for my dog, and in that bag is medications, favorite toys and treats. I do even bring his bed. What do you think? I think that is a very good idea, and I don't think you're crazy at all for doing that. You're a good pet parent because it's really important to keep them on a regular schedule using the things that they're used to, the smells that they're used to, and everything that's common to them. And keeping them on a schedule, especially, if they have medications and their regular food and feeding them at the time that they normally eat, that can help decrease any of the anxiety they may be feeling about being away from home. The fewer the disruptions that are there and the more things they are the same, the better. All right, so more people are traveling with their pets than ever before. Uh, So therefore, maybe that's one reason why we're talking about motion sickness maybe more than ever before? I don't know. But what do you do? You have a dog with motion sickness, and 
Now what? Yeah, that's a, that can totally be a real problem for these dogs and for their families. There was a study that was done last year that showed that almost half of dog owners said their dog exhibits some kind of a sign of motion sickness when traveling in a car. And unfortunately, but totally understandably, these dogs are often left home when they go out for the holidays to visit family. And I think that's really sad because the dog misses out, the family's disruptive, and it really breaks that loving bond. What's even worse is that many of these pet owners told us that they have feelings of sadness and guilt and chalk it up to something that they have to live with, and that's going to forever change the relationship that they have with their dog. So how are veterinarians making the diagnosis of, mo- that's motion sickness? Yeah, we're, we're not really doing that. <laughs> we're not <laughs> doing it as often as it's there. And I'll tell you why. It's because there's a real disconnect between veterinarians and dog owners about specifically about motion sickness. And it's really interesting because if you ask pet owners if their dog shows signs of motion sickness, as I just said, more than half are going to say yes, but then that's where it ends. Because they think that's something that's about the dog and there's nothing they can do about it, they're not going to bring it up when they come in for their veterinary visit. Not, not even if their dog vomited on the way to the hospital. And in the course of the veterinary visit, that often gets forgotten. And naturally, as veterinarians, we think that if there was a problem, especially if they vomited on the way to the clinic, they would be mentioning it to us. So we don't usually put it in our usual database of questions that we ask when we're taking a history. So it's really not surprising that it's underdiagnosed since no one's talking to each other about it. I also think that so many people have phones and encouraging clients, if there's anything unusual that they wonder about, to just use their phone and video. One example that has nothing to do with what we're talking about is a cat that was acting strange. And I said to the the, the pet parent of that cat, I said, well, why don't you just, you know, videotape? I don't know the videotape is the right word, but use your phone to record uh, on a video of what's going on and then show your veterinarian. It turned out that cat was having seizures. Seizures in cats can be subtle. Uh, the owner knew that, well, this isn't right, but didn't know exactly what was going on. So what are the signs of motion sickness? What do you tell people uh, as a veterinarian or a veterinary professional to look for? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to dismiss that, that idea of the video or, or recording because that is huge in anything. And I, I am in total agreement with you on that. And we know that dog owners don't often recognize signs of motion sickness because they think it's just vomiting. Motion sickness is caused by a conflict of sensory signal. And it's these sensory signals that are coming into the emetic center, and it's between the inner ear and the visual cortex. So there's a confusion in the brain. And in addition, you can layer on this input from the cerebral cortex that has to do with fear and anxiety. So if they have re- uh, previous experiences, then that actually just ramps things up and it keeps getting worse and worse. So vomiting is one of the things that happens, and that's the one that's the most obvious and clearly the most distressing. But there's a lot of other behaviors that dogs can exhibit that are showing their, their feeling sick from um, car sickness or motion sickness, but they're less obvious. It can be things like excessive drooling. They can be licking their lips, panting a lot, swallowing, shaky. Uh, sometimes they just sit quietly and don't move. And if that's not normal for a dog, that can really be a sign of motion sickness as well. And veterinarians, I understand, can go to a website uh, for more information and a checklist. 
Absolutely. If veterinarians have a question or they can send their clients to it, it's, it's uh, com, And uh, pet owners can take a quiz to find out if their dog gets car sick, and they can see some of the signs. They're represented visually, and they may be able to understand if their dog is showing these. And then they can talk to their veterinarian about this. Now, Dr. Logan, I have the perfect solution right here. Leave the dog home. And sometimes that might be the right thing to do for a whole long list of reasons, but for the most part... Even if I said that's what you should do, people aren't listening to me. They're not listening to veterinarians if veterinarians say that. So is there a better answer than that? Well, that's a good answer because I'm with you. Sometimes that is a good answer. Personally, I like to be quiet and alone. I'm not sure I wouldn't mind an excuse not to go to the family sometimes. <laughs> you've, you've apparently uh, have spent uh, your Thanksgiving with my family. Or my own. <laughs> yeah, either way. So... On the other hand, I hate to see the dogs left at home if they're social dogs and they would interact with the family. And maybe these dogs can be enjoying the holidays with their family. And the good news is that you may be able to do something about that. There are medications that can be prescribed, specifically Serenia, which is meropitant. And it is the first and only FDA-approved medication to prevent the vomiting that's due to motion sickness in dogs. And it's for use in dogs that are over four months of age. So how does it work? Serenia works by blocking NK1 receptors, and it, it stops substance P from binding, and substance P is what stimulates the, um, the emetic center to vomit. So it comes as a tablet, and you can give it two hours, at minimum of two hours before traveling or longer if you want. And if you give it with a small amount of food so it's not an empty stomach and they don't vomit from being given a pill on an empty stomach, it'll last for 24 hours and you can give it for two days in a row. Now, Serenia hasn't been evaluated in dogs that have gastrointestinal obstructions or if they've eaten a toxin, and they should be used with caution if there's hepatic dysfunction because it is metabolized by the liver. And if people are really sensitive to it, they may develop a localized allergic skin reaction, but that's not very common. If you need more information on that, you can also go to that www.serenia.com site and learn more. All right. And also there's a keep your pets happy and healthy during the holidays handout. That's on the fear-free website. Uh, veterinarians can give this handout to their client. And it is all free, which I like. Dr. Campbell, I haven't forgotten to come back to you. I promised I would. Here I am. Do you have any final thoughts? Sure, Steve. So I think, you know, as we've talked about, holidays can be joyous occasions as long as we inform our pet owners about the hazards that are going to, their pets can be possibly exposed to and we provide them the steps or the tips that they can take to protect their pets. But also, um, you know, kind of what we've been talked about both from the perspective of noise aversion and motion sickness, both of those are underdiagnosed conditions that can really put, um, you know, kind of uh, not fracture, but strain that human-animal bond. And so just as we're going into the holiday season, it would be great if veterinarians could not only think about all of the different things they need to warn pet owners about to keep their pets safe, but also if they could think about if that dog may have noise aversion and or motion sickness and start making that diagnosis and prescribing those treatments because that also can, um, with those two conditions, that also can have such a negative impact, kind of put a downer on the holidays if they're not with their pet or if their pet is um, suffering from noise aversion or motion sickness. 
Yeah, you're right. And of course, really, if, if I, I mean, to, to my way of thinking, this is a great time of year to talk about it. But really, these are year-round issues. People travel with their pets all the time. They do so especially in the summer as well. Uh, longer distances, they all go off to see Grandma or Crazy Uncle Willie uh, for for the summer, but they can do that at any time, you know, or you're just traveling to somewhere fun like a dog park, but you don't want to go there anymore because you know your dog doesn't enjoy the experience of the car ride to get there because your dog does have motion sickness. The good news is that you can tell your clients they can do something about it. And really the same with noise aversion, obviously, around July 4th, but really, if a dog has noise aversion, true noise aversion, it can often be a year-round issue. So thank you, guys. I think a really important topic. Dr. Joyce Logan, Senior Veterinary Manager of Medical Affairs, and Dr. Sharon Campbell, also Senior Veterinary Manager of Medical Affairs, both for Zoetis. Thank you very much for your time. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings. Access the new toolbox items and find all of the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, you can find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, you're lucky. You can learn more about the resources that we have for you at Fear Free Happy Homes. Dot com.